Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. Hi, everyone. It's Roxanne Durhodge. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Uh, this week, I have uh, an honored guest, uh, Tracy Cipriano, and uh, she has quite the combination of skills, I would say. Uh, she is a uh, former uh, lawyer and a psychologist, um, and she she's just recently released a book. A new book. So Tracy, tell us the name of the book. And um, it was uh, released in July where people can get it. Sure. It's The Thriving Lawyer, a multidimensional model of well-being for a sustainable legal profession. And it's really available for any from any any bookseller. You can find it online from Amazon, um, any other bookseller online. You can ask your bookstore to purchase it. I have a website, thethrivinglawyerbook.com. You can go there and click on a link if you want. Awesome. It's uh, published by Routledge. I didn't publish it myself. It's published by Routledge, but I have links to sellers. Okay, awesome. So let's... Um... Now that's quite the, I would say there's a lot of skills that you would have used as a lawyer and, but now you're a psychologist. So yeah, help me understand the path that you took, uh, Tracy, to kind of uh, initially you were legal and then now mm -hmm. you've stepped over and I know you're also um, uh, um, teaching at uh, the clinical, clinical professor at Yale School of Medicine. So tell me what, tell me about your path. Sure. Um, that you decided to take, you know, take these two routes? My interests have always been in um, psychology, law, policy, health. And um, I initially took the law school route. I thought I could, you know, bring change about in the world as a lawyer. And there were things I really enjoyed about law. I enjoyed the research and writing and legal analysis, problem solving, crafting, you know, good arguments. But there were things about the day-to-day -day practice I didn't enjoy. And I eventually decided that, um, I wanted to take the leap and return to graduate school for psychology. I'm a relational person. I'm very interested in what makes people tick, what's going on, what motivates people. Um, and so I, I returned to graduate school for clinical psychology and I, I haven't looked back. It was difficult to make that leap, but that once I did, uh, it's it's been terrific. But I, I think my legal training helps me to work with lawyers because I fully understand, I understand how they think, I understand the environment, I understand the pressures. And it, um, when I'm reading psychological research and literature, I can say, oh, this is appropriate for that situation. It really helps me um, mesh the two together. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about <laughs> mindset. And in your book, we talked, we'll talk a lot about, you know, lawyering. Uh, I often say that one of my best friends, he's, um, you know, been in law and just knowing the backside of what his life is like, like he is. He's up before us oftentimes when we go on vacation. This is the, <laughs> and I'll say to him, how long have you been up? So he's like up before we get up and until the families get up. And then oftentimes when kind of people are winding down, he's working again. So, and right. I've been around them for 25 years. So I've seen that. And obviously in my professional career, I was able to work with lawyers in Ontario, developing the, uh, the Ontario, um, 
assistance program through a behavioral yeah. health consult uh, consulting company uh, that I work with. There's a lot of pressures um, in the legal field. And right. um, tell me a little bit about, you know, kind of your kind of your interface when you were a lawyer, but what are some of the things in the new book um, that you're focusing on with some of the needs of lawyers? Well, there, there are a lot of things um, just in terms of uh, being able to be starting with being attuned to what's going on with you. How's that? You don't, you're not taught in law school to focus on what's, what your internal experience is. It's very externally focused and that can get lawyers into trouble because they don't understand that they're, um, perhaps they're experiencing a mental health issue or even a physical health issue. They're just not attuned to what's going on with them. So beginning to think about, you know, what's going on with you. And then um, once you appreciate that, you can do more in terms of self-care strategies. I think of your your colleague, I wonder how much sleep he's getting and maybe he needs um, education on how sleep might benefit him and how he might be more efficient with his work. Maybe he has no complaints and he's fine. But if he's saying to you, oh, Roxanne, I'm always tired. I can't seem to get everything done. Maybe there's something about sleep in there that needs to be uh, addressed. And then there are um, the workplace pressures, which include the, those long hours, the never ending assignments, um, billable hour requirements, workplace culture and expectations. Sounds like your friend is a partner, but as a new associate, what are the expectations? There may be policies, but then there's the unwritten policies and expectations that everyone knows what they are, even though they're unspoken. And how do those affect affect associates? Um, how do people treat each other? Um, if there is uh, an unhealthy unhealthy behavior going on in the way people are interacting, does anyone step up in leadership and, and address that? I mean, there, there are a lot of pressures in that way. Then there's this work-family balance. There's the issue of social support. I um, wrote an article for Law 360 a few weeks ago about lawyer loneliness. I mean, many lawyers are, feel lonely, but it's between the pressures of the profession and the tendency to not see, want to be, appear vulnerable and the long hours and a, a whole combination of factors. It's hard to connect with people when you eventually do have downtime at the end of the day or if you try to take a vacation and things like that. Um, then there are financial pressures that aren't necessarily work. They could be work related. I mean, with the pandemic has created all kinds of pressures for people. Um, but just simply, if there's someone with uh, law school loans, I mean, a lot of people go to law school now and incur a lot of debt. And now they're practicing and they say, well, how does this salary going to pay these loans? And so this financial stress just adds another layer of stress to everything they're experiencing in the profession. Um, you need to have a sense of meaning in your life. I'm, I'm giving you a whole laundry list here, but, you know, we all need to have a reason to get up in the morning, have a sense of meaning and purpose. And why am I, you know, what's getting me through each day? It could be your work. It could be being a part of a team. It could be something external to work. It could be your family, uh, your spirituality. Um, and I don't know, there's, that's a, that's a few things. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. And I can, I mean, I can tell you that um, based on the data that I, you know, when I would look at the trending, um, of some of the legal people, the top issues were relationship and addictions. Those were the top yes. two issues yes. that we saw, again, which would make sense. So here we're talking about mindsets, right? Like you, like you said, you're going through law school, you know, you're going through a lot, of, you know, obviously you have to be able to be, um, you know, be able to keep up with, with studying and articling and all those things. 
And then you said you're externally focused. Um, so you're getting, you know, how many, how many ever years you go in and then you start off in the law firm where you're just kind of doing what's expected of you and meeting right. customer, uh, clients' needs, not really thinking internally. So I would think that right. that mindset was something that you could really tap into with lawyers because I'm thinking you're, you've been a lawyer, so you understand and now yeah. you're a psychologist that's really kind of, you know, it's, you know, one's from the outside in and the other one's from the inside out. So kind of right. having them look at that frame to understand, well, where, where do you want to be? It, that does, does that become a difficult space? A lawyer that wants to, wants to keep a practice um, or be part of a uh, partner track, but also, you know, step into the concept of work-life balance. Right. How, how difficult is it hard is it to kind of meet those you know those mindsets together or blend them depends upon if they own the practice or they are one of many partners right and so if it's your practice you really have a lot of autonomy to decide how many hours you'll work what cases you'll take on what when you'll work where all of that because firms get larger it's now you need more people on board in terms of how how is this firm going to operate and i think that's where some of the challenges are um, in terms of that mindset, you're right. And I, I think one of the things that helps me in talking with lawyers is I, I do get it and I can speak to them in a language that helps them understand that I understand their experience and, but there still is another way you can actually think about other options. And I, um, it really, it's, there's no one size fits all to any firm, as you know, um, it's really talking to an individual and seeing what their needs are and building from there or talking to, uh, if it's a larger firm, you know, talking to the group and what are your goals? What, are, why are we even talking? So what are the pain points? Why are we talking? Okay. And what are some options that we can do to deal with this? Of course. And absolutely. If it's a small firm versus a, a you know, a firm uh, say in on Bay street in Toronto here, it's a different kind of, you know, what kind of firm is it? Um, so in your book, Tell us kind of the, what what kind of things, if in the legal profession, what are, can people expect from the book? Um, what are some of the things that you explore that, say, lawyers or firms that are listening to this podcast could, or leadership um, teams in law firms could um, would get out of the book? It, the book starts out with explaining, you know, why we should even care. What what are, why do we even care about wellness or managing stress or healthy work environments? Why, why do we care about this? And so it makes the case for that. Um, it talks about uh, how to start to focus on it as an individual internally on what's going on. It addresses self-care and well-being strategies and barriers to them, such as stigma or time. Um, it talks about a lot of these workplace issues and how to begin to think about them differently. I ask a lot of questions, you know, challenging the reader to think about how, you know, what does this mean to you? What are your goals, your values? Um, and helping them think through some of the issues themselves uh, related to their work and their policies. Yeah. So you, um, in reading the overview of the book, you talked a little bit about the pandemic and how it affected the legal firm, the legal um, kind of landscape. Can you, can you share a little bit about what, how it impacted the legal uh, profession? Um, well, a few different ways. One is certainly it raised awareness about mental health. Um, mm -hmm. And I'd say like just before the pandemic, law firms, at least here in the U.S., there were more, you know, 
well-being officer type positions being hired. We were seeing more and more wellness committees, firms are bringing in speakers. But when the pandemic hit, there were just so many pressures either in law firms, they might have been beyond busy and couldn't manage all the work like M&A work. And then smaller firm practitioners were struggling because they didn't have enough work. Courts were closed. People were dealing with remote technology, uh, childcare shortages. So all of a sudden they're working from home in a small apartment and their kids, you know, two-year-olds running around. And um, so there were a lot of pressures that compounded what was already um, a stressful profession. And law firms just had to take note that, you know, lawyers were burning out. And uh, so it certainly raised awareness and it's, I'm hoping that that will continue. You know, the one thing that I was cognizant about is when we would uh, do trending up reports is that um, oftentimes the stigma in the legal field was that, and you tell me if this makes sense. And I remember it would be like, well, yeah, we know we have some concerns, but it's really not that bad. Uh, that was something that we would see. It would be like, yeah, yeah, you know, we understand, but you know, lawyers are very smart people, and right. they figure it out. So I just wonder if you can chat a little bit. And I would often say, yeah, they're smart people, but if they're if they're smart people that aren't able to recognize that before they get insomnia or before they're maybe having the extra scotch or two or before they're, you know, uh, maybe, you know, burning the candle at the, the next end where they're taking that extra call, they're often no longer at short term stress. Then they kind of getting to the point where it's it's it's, you know, cumulative stress. And right. then, you know, they're just they're taking something, get up, something to go down, you know, yes. they're having more conflict. Um, at, at home and, you know, they're not seeing their teen, you know, their teenagers who really need them. There's a lot of things that start to happen. Right. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's a difficult space in that the backdrop of the, of the legal kind of community was, Oh, it's not that bad. Yes. I think there's a tendency to minimize, right. What you're experiencing and perhaps again, not tuning in and you, you're right. You need to address a problem early on. It might be a minor issue, but if you address it early on, then it doesn't become a bigger issue. Um, the issue of substance use, that is a big problem in the legal profession. Uh, it's something it's, it's an easy way to go out and unwind, right. You're too busy to plan anything. So people just go out to happy hour or go out to probably far beyond happy hour by the time they get out <laughs> and have a drink and it's a way to unwind it's an easy way to unwind the problem is it becomes it can become a habit and suddenly you know one drink isn't enough and like you said you're drinking to go to sleep and now your body processes it and now you wake up earlier you don't sleep well and now you you're tired the next day and so you have to take something else or drink a lot of caffeine to have the energy to focus that day um I feel like there were, you, you mentioned a lot of different issues. So I <laughs> went off target on the substance, but substance is a is an issue. But the legal community hasn't thought about it as one. They see substance use as separate from mental health, even though many people self-medicate with it. Um, and then it can become problematic. So they see it as completely separate. So they see it as something that's not related to mental health. They see it as just something that people overuse to maybe cope but not right. that like a comorbidity between mental health and, and substance use, I would say misuse. And we know addiction yeah. can be a smarter, smaller subset, but obviously I would say through the pandemic, regardless, whoever you were, right. uh, I know in Canada, I'm sure in the U S as well, um, substance misuse was rampant, you know, just right. for people to cope. 
But, you know, when we think about in the profession today, Tracy, is it that people are starting to sit and look at it more from the space that, you know, I'll say as a psychotherapist that, you know, mental health is on a continuum <laughs> at any right, given exactly. point, any of us can be really mentally well. And all of a sudden we get misaligned and then we can kind of get to the point where we're, you know, it could be situational depression or more, I'm getting more anxious. And then all of a right. sudden I'm needing to take maybe a little anti-anxiety or maybe, you know, my doctor's starting to say, maybe you should try an anti short-term antidepressant or something like that. So it's, it's all on a continuum. Would you yeah. see that profession is starting to look at it more like that or where, where's your ed the education level in the field now around uh, mental well-being? I think it varies. I mean, certainly even with substance use, I think there's a greater awareness that it is tied to mental health now than as opposed to 20 years ago when I was talking about it. Um, the continuum, yes. I think the thing is, I think a lot of people who are involved in the lawyer well-being community and lawyer assistance programs, they get it. But then um, it's kind of preaching to the choir. It's the people outside of that community that um, still need that education to understand that there is this continuum and that people, you know, your physical health, your mental health, they, they, they fluctuate. It doesn't mean that you have, you know, an illness. It's just you, there are fluctuations based on things going on in your life. And I think of the stigma, right? Um, yes. When we think of high functioning, I'm going to use the word term, you know, double A or triple A personality. Sometimes they're drawn to professions like law, let's say. Sure. And in societal norms, I don't know if you would agree with this, what are they doing? They're hyper-functioning, right? They're, right? They are not showing the cracks, oftentimes when it's later stage, right? So then they're really, really in trouble. So High-functioning, yeah. Yeah, they're high-functioning, and they're, like, keeping it going. And sometimes you wonder, how do these individuals keep it going until there's a complete breakdown? Right. Um, right. As, a, as a psychologist, when you look at what do you think would be a solution for something like that? You're saying that there's a lot more wellness committees or wellness uh, personnel at firms now. Um, do you think that's helping or do you think there's more, some other things that they should be cons considering about implementing in, in the different firms? Well, uh, I mean, some firms even have mental health professionals embedded within them or consulting to the firm. Um, but I think the bigger issue is helping people to recognize when they need one and feeling okay in doing it. And that's mm. that's that's the biggest hurdle. Um, that yeah, that's the biggest hurdle. Yeah, of course. And I, I go back to that concept of the mindset that you're talking about, right? External versus internal. Yeah. And really, at the end of the day, you know, we're all people we have, you know, and they happen to do their profession and they're very good at it, which is, you know, right. we need <laughs> you need people in legislature or, you know, policy and government. And if you need a good uh, lawyer for a criminal, you know, you want that person to be on. So there's that pressure that we right. need people, good people to be able to be uh, be able to kind of deal with those concerns. But the counter end is um, then, like you talked about a little bit about vulnerability. How is it then that, that that person that is always supposed to have the answers, how do they then become vulnerable to be able to say, go see a coach or a psychotherapist? That's very difficult for someone who's used to always being in control and 
um, keeps people at a distance and doesn't, you know, doesn't let anyone in to understand what's really going on inside of them uh, to, to share with you as a coach or me as a coach or as a psychotherapist. Yeah, that's, that's very difficult to do. Well, but- I, I give it, yeah, I'll give you an example. When we started the program, this is, you know, and we're talking quite a while back, goodness, probably 2002. And uh, so I was the head of the program. I was running it as the executive. So uh, so now we were going from it being an external to being morphed into our behavioral um, health integration with, with the law society. Um, so here now we're trying to, it's seamless. So we answer the phone. They feel like it's a part of their um, internal referral arm. The biggest concern obviously was we're talking about complete confidentiality, right? In psychological right. services, but guess what? The lawyers were always worried about. Oh yeah, um, they were worried about if I tell you something that was going to impact my practice. Um, so we had to really um, parse out uh, kind of the triage that we did with them, so that they would be aware of that, or else they wouldn't they wouldn't even proceed. Right. Right. So which was like that was the first hurdle we went through. And then ultimately, well, I, I remember once this is um, it, was a, it was very telling to the program itself and what we're talking about. So I had a um, someone find me because they, you know, uh, through the entire system, they wanted to know who the executive was taking care of the account. And the first question they asked me was, what was my background? What gave me um, the credentials to be able to run the program? And then they proceeded then. So it was two lawyers, by the way, two lawyers married to each other. And one of them called through. And the second one was they didn't like the way the therapist uh, was dressed. They didn't like the therapy office because it seemed too informal. And the approach that the therapist took was too informal from what they were expecting. So it's interesting. That shows you as of an example of um, the issue with having to switch chairs to be able yeah. to get the help right right it was quite well, uh, quite fascinating actually and that ties into um ideas of competence probably you know you have to how do you present you're formal you're dressed formally and that means that you're competent and you know your stuff so the therapist who's dressed casually and has their dog running around in the office or i don't know i don't have a dog running around when i when i was doing psychotherapy but you know the idea they equate that with competence which is not true it's just a different way of operating so another level then as well, right? The difference in fields. So I, I think of you with your being in both and be able to join both of them to help them recognize. So with this particular conversation, I, I, I had said to the lawyer that was calling, I said, so like, what is the person supposed to look like? I kind of challenged without pushing too hard. And they said, well, I just think they would have been a bit more formally dressed. Okay. And, and, <laughs> and then- what was the what was the office supposed to well i just don't know but it didn't look the way i thought it should look and we we just chatted just kind of you know talking a little bit about you know being able to be it's hard with to see uh, a, a a psychologist it's difficult to enter and you know when there's concerns i said so you know just like when you have your practice and let's say you're a criminal lawyer um someone comes to you and they really allow you to use your expertise. I said, that's the space you need to enter uh, the clinical office in. And then he or she, I, couldn't I think it was a man, the, the man said, oh, I, I get that. 
<laughs> not that he was going to go along with it, but so I think I, I can understand how tough it is at times, right? Because when you're the one that has the answers, uh, generally in a profession, and when that becomes a big part of the person's identity, it becomes difficult then to kind of go to someone, even though they're struggling. Right. And and in that case, in the psychotherapist's office, they didn't know the rules. Like, what, what are the rules here? Everyone's casual and how am I supposed to behave? And how do I, you know, everyone's so open and how, how do I, you know, keep my poker face in here? It's, it's very intimidating until of people. Course. And I, I, in a courtroom, it's, there's, there's guidelines. There's certain ways right. everybody's supposed to act a certain right. way when the judge comes in, when, you know, those types of things, but in the therapy office, a complete uh, different kind of scenario too. So I love right. the concept again, from uh, like you said, external to internal and them being able to kind of, you know, like you said, have the conversations about what they might need to develop within themselves. So what do you think in our time in reference to mental well-being and the legal profession, what do you think is um, one of the first things that law firms need to consider if they don't already have some things in place? That's, that's a good question. I think a, a, a wellness committee of some sort um, where people get together and um, talk about what's going on in the firm and the client and the, the, the climate and the process. I think that committee should involve leaders as well as associates, because sometimes leaders have one idea of how things are going and associates have a completely different idea of how things are going um, and get a sense of what's working or what maybe people would like to see change and then think about what's what's realistic. What what do people need? Do they need a little more autonomy? Do they need some flexibility? Do they need downtime so that they can feel rejuvenated the next day when they come in and talking about those issues of client emergencies. You really need to answer a client at all hours. Um, how do we, how are we defining a client emergency? Um, there are a whole host of issues, as you know, that need to be addressed. But I think just getting people talking about them is a starting point, figuring out where, where are the biggest problems in our firm and how do we, where should we go from here? Absolutely. So um, with, uh, with your book, um, where can you were saying that people can get it pretty much anywhere, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, um, yeah. different things. If people are wanting to uh, reach out, whether it's, you know, management teams for law firms, um, uh, if people are wanting to connect with you to chat a little bit further, where, where could they get a hold of you? Um, a few different places. Uh, you can always find me on LinkedIn. It's very probably the easiest thing for people. Uh, my book website is the thrivinglawyerbook.com. And then I have a website. It's my name, Tracy Cipriano, jdphd.com. Awesome. And, well, Tracy, uh, thanks so much you. for your time. So what, what am I taking away? I, I think it's, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes professions get, you know, people, they spend so much time in their professions that that becomes that I am, I am a lawyer, I am a doctor, I'm a psychologist. Um, and uh, if you really haven't spent time developing that internal space, entering any profession, um, at times we, we do that learning when we're already in the profession. So with the legal profession, obviously, you know, you kind of think, uh, like uh, Tracy said, it's external, being on, being in control and doing a great job. We need them to keep doing that. But how do we do that based on the different types 
um, of environments that you are in the legal uh, sphere? Um, and how is it that you try to understand what are the needs uh, of, of your environment and listening, listening to say um, people are your commodity. Uh, they need to stay mentally well. And now that we're in the, I think the space uh, post pandemic, where we recognize there's a lot more things that we have not addressed, that we look at every profession and say, there's always gonna be concerns, but how do we optimally prepare ourselves um, so that people stay really, really well? So Tracy, thanks so much for sharing. And for everyone out Thank there, you for having uh, me. oh, thanks for coming. And uh, Tracy, it's it's always a pleasure to talk and, and drill down even further into it and uh, an area that um, oftentimes I don't spend time in. So thank you. And so for everyone, uh, you know, uh, like uh, Tracy, I launched my book in um, July of the ROR, Return on Relationship, where we talk about resilience and their teams. If you're wanting a copy of that, it's on Amazon, but you can also go to my website at roxanderhodge.com and, and grab a copy. Again, thanks for tuning in. And Tracy, take care. And so nice for you to give us your time. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.